Welcome to The Lisa Show. Do you have aging parents, relatives with debilitating mental health issues, disabled loved ones? Then you know the challenges that accompany caregiving. Studies show that 40% of caregivers report high psychological, emotional, physical, and financial stress, giving you time, effort, emotion, and money to care for another human being, who may even be the one who is supposed to be taking care of you, is taxing on the mind and body. But how can we properly care for others if we ourselves are overwhelmed? Dr. Santo Marabella, author of The Less Lessons of Caregiving, Inspiration and Support for the Caregiver, joins us to discuss how we can take care of ourselves and feel less stressed under the responsibility of caregiving. Welcome, Dr. Marabella. Thank you so much. Let's talk specifically about the factors that are causing caregivers these high levels of stress in all aspects of their well-being. Um, talk a little bit about them. Sure. You know, I, I think for most folks, this is, um, this is something that we're not really prepared for. Uh, you don't get a handbook on that. And, and certainly my book's not a handbook either, but it's just some experience to share. I think we, we have sadness. We have losses. We have regrets. We have just concerns about how to be there for our loved one. And we also have a situation where, you know, um, for the most part, it hadn't been okay for men maybe to express concerns or, or their insecurities or their stress. Uh, maybe they were supposed to keep it in. Maybe it was okay for women to. Fortunately, that's changing, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I think just stress in general just depends on how you handle it. Are you somebody that talks about it? Are you somebody that keeps it in? Do you exercise? What do you do? But all these things that we're not really necessarily prepared for just uh, confront us. Do, is, do you think that it's, it's safe to assume that most people will find themselves in a caregiving role and, and, and one point or another in their lives? I, I do. I mean, it's a blessing. At the same time, it's such a challenge. And I think when you look at more than 43.5 million Americans mm -hmm. out of, what, 300 and some, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. And, and thankfully, you know, we have wonderful technology and medical science that extends life for, for our aging parents or keeps folks who are, uh, you know, our, our, our kids or, or, other care, or other loved ones uh, alive and, and some quality of life. But, yeah, I believe that a lot of us will face this. And, again, you know, it's, sometimes it's by necessity and sometimes it's by choice. I think for me it was always a, a combination of the two. So we'll you know, talk a little I, bit about your experience in, sure. in this role. I am an only child. I have been so blessed with wonderful parents and family and tribe of, of wonderful people. Um, but I had to kind of choose this, mm -hmm. you know, because you, you, know, you can accept it and say, yeah, I have to do this, or you can choose it. And I know I needed to choose it so that I could really be present, so that I could really be helpful, and it's not easy. And, you know, believe me, this isn't the, the poor Santo show. This is, this is really my attempt to, to say to people that it's okay to feel these things, and we just need to talk about them. We just need to, to kind of be there for one another in whatever way we can. Um, so, I, you know, I, I've been choosing this, and there are so many gifts that you get. And it's not always easy, but the, the gifts that you get of connecting with people in ways that you never imagined. There was a study about caregivers cardiovascular disease and how this one uh, proof of concept study came about where uh, the this caregiver and the couple in the couple would be uh, working together they called it I think uh, healing hearts together and it actually reduced the stress for the caregivers because they were talking more they were communicating they were they were connecting more um, are you currently taking care of your parents I am I have um, uh, my dad is 93 with Parkinson's for the last 18 years. My mom is uh, 89 with dialysis um, three times a week, and um, they are still able to be in their own home. And, but, you know, as I said, many people's situations are far more challenging than mine. I, I am surrounded by good people, and, and we have um, some additional caregivers who are just amazing to us. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I'm, you know, we're getting through okay, but there are so many people, I think, that are just so feeling so alone and feeling like there, there is nobody else or that, um, you know, they shouldn't talk about this because it's not about me. It should be about the person I'm caring for. And that's not true. It's, it's about both of us, you know, because we're both on this journey together. So, so how do we create that conversation or allow uh, the comfortability of that conversation to occur? Yeah, it, it's funny because, you know, I've been doing some speaking about it, and people just out of nowhere start talking about their stories. Mm-hmm. I think once we let people know it's okay, once we take away, there's some stigma to it because, again, we're supposed to be tough. We're supposed to be taking care of a person who needs us. Why are you making this about you? Right. And, and I, I found that by talking about it, when I, for the book, I, I interviewed some folks, actually most friends of mine, most of mine who are friends, and they... They just really appreciated the chance to talk about it in a safe, safe place, you know, where you're not being judged, where you're not being like, why are you saying this terrible thing? It's not a terrible thing. I'm just venting or, or whatever. But I think just saying to people, hey, um, I know you're going through some things. If you ever need to talk, it's okay. Or how's this going with your parents? Or how's it going with your spouse or your kid that I know you're taking care of? I, I think that uh, we throw around the idea of to the caregiver, whoever it may be, well, you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself, <laughs> which can be such a, a, an overwhelming thing uh, to hear because the simple demands of what is being asked by a, a caregiver can be overwhelming. Um, but why is that important? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, you know, I heard a, a past guest on your show talk about just taking like incremental steps, like five minutes here. I couldn't agree more. It's not that we're going to say, take a week off. You know, you probably need that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's just these little things. I think it's, first of all, being present that it's okay and necessary to take care of me. That's something that you have to do work on yourself. And then the second thing is actually doing it. And then if you have people around you who help you be accountable, you know, and, and hey, did you do whatever you said you were going to do? I mean, we need to decide what it is that works for us, mm-hmm. uh, what works for us. You know, I don't like to exercise. I know I need to. <laughs> I do some things. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness I have a dog and we walk a lot. Right. But, you know, I, I, I just, I have, to, I did have to decide that I better start doing more of this for me because I can't take care of them unless I'm taking care of me. And it's self-interested, it's self-caring, it's not selfish. So so if someone is, is listening and feeling a little bit overwhelmed, yeah. if they find themselves in a caregiving situation, and they know that they need a little bit more support or help, but they don't know where to go or what to do, and let alone have time to, to research that, where do you send them? So what I've done is, again, um, I've, in the, uh, through the book and through the readers and the lessons of caring, um, there's a Facebook uh, private group where people can just come and be. But, but a lot of times, you know, just talking to your family uh, practice practitioner who are becoming, fortunately, healthcare providers become much more attuned to the fact that they might have two patients, mm-hmm. the patient itself, herself, himself, and the, and the caregiver. And I'm really happy to say that the caregivers in, in Pennsylvania and, and a, a number of states, I think 40 states throughout the country, they're... Are, um, it's, a, it's called CARE, and it actually is an, uh, a law that helps health care providers be attuned to the needs of the caregivers. But I think, again, what I point people to do, to is, mm-hmm. this, you know, as much as I can, wherever I can, I talk about you're not alone, you're on this journey, uh, there are lots of people on this journey, just reach out, just take the risk of reaching out, talk to someone else, whether it's just a vent, or strategize, or get some advice, um, but it, it's okay, and, and that's what I really want people to, to feel, mm-hmm. that it's, it's okay uh, to do this, and to take care of yourself. We're talking with Dr. Santo Marabella about uh, caring for ourselves if we are caregivers. Uh, is there a difference in the studies that you've done um, as to the number of men that 
aren't taking care of themselves or women that aren't taking themselves as, as caregivers? Is there one that's more likely? Obviously, that's a generalized statement and each situation is unique, but as, as a whole with the numbers. Um, Richie, I don't, I don't know particularly about how, uh, how that works for men and women. What I do know is that we're, we're seeing numbers of like 40%, I think, um, of, of caregivers, unpaid caregivers we're talking about now, unpaid caregivers are, are men, and that's becoming a trend where more men are becoming caregivers. You know, again, I, I, don't, I think the old notion of um, women are nurturers, men are uh, fixers, Fortunately, I think that's waning. I think everybody can be a nurturer and everybody can be a fixer. So I think that's happening more and more. But, but, you know, if we're new in the role, if, if men are new in the role, my guess is it would be a little bit harder because we're fighting against the old stereotype of, you know, needing help and asking for help. And we, we don't know what we're doing in this new role to, be, to begin with. So I, I think um, there's a lot of challenge. But, you know, we can help each other with this. This is not... This is not rocket science. Yeah. It's just being there for each other in just whatever ways work for us. Um, for those who are listening who want to be supportive of other caregivers, what are those signs that, that a caregiver, you know, needs help, whether or not they say, oh, I'm fine, everything's great? <laughs> um, I got for this. For me and maybe for others. I think it's a, uh, one thing that you can tell right away, uh-huh. I lose my sense of humor. Hmm. Nothing is funny, and that's bad, because <laughs> I think a lot of things are funny. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think life, you know, we get, we get through it with humor. Um, so that's one, one note sign that I've noticed about myself. I think going to anger is another thing. When you go to anger, in, in the lessons that I've picked up, um, so let's say there, you know, we, we perceive losses. There's a lot of losses that, that happen, not only for the, care, for the loved one. You know, they can't do this. They can't drive. They can't. But there's losses for us. Like, my parents are here. I'm really blessed and mm-hmm. happy to have them. Yet, you know, they can't participate in the way they used to in my life. And I take them for what they can do. But if I don't recognize that as a loss, and if I'm not sad about that or grieving about that, guess what? turns into anger. Mm-hmm. That's not good. Anger for me is not a good thing, and I don't know, you know, sometimes we need to be angry about injustices, and I get that, but um, when it's in this situation, the anger becomes really um, ugly, and mm-hmm. I don't like it about myself, and I, I know that um, if I forget that it's really, I'm sad here, I'm grieving mm-hmm. about the losses, it, and it goes to anger, then it's really harder for me to manage. Because then I have all these unrealistic expectations. Well, why aren't you trying harder to walk? Why is it taking us 15 minutes to get from the house to the car when, you know, three years ago you could do that in two minutes? What a- so I've noticed that. I've noticed humor. I've noticed anger. And I've noticed a withdrawal um, among people. You know, again, we, we are feeling guilty perhaps about even talking about it. So we withdraw from our friends and our network and our tribe and... You know, when we're alone and we're isolating ourselves, and if anybody knew what we were going through, I guarantee you our people would step up, our people would reach out. So for me, those are the three things that come up for me and, and hopefully for others that resonates with them. What, are, what about those individuals who try to be a caregiver and realize that it is potentially too much or that just from the onset choose not to be a caregiver. There, there's a lot of weight potential, uh, guilt potential in, in all of that. What, what can you say to those folks? That, you know, that's a really good choice to make. It, it is okay. You're, you're not a bad person to recognize our limits, what we can and cannot do, uh, you know, it would be the same as if, if a person in a relationship would say, you know, I, I can't do this any longer. I want to be fair to you. I want to be clear to you. I cannot do this. I had much more respect for that mm. than trying to do this and not choosing it. As I said at the beginning, you know, I had to choose this if I really wanted to be authentic about this. And I would rather that, and now, 
I still think, you know, we have a responsibility to make sure that if we can't do it, that somebody is. We can't let people just be mm-hmm. when, they, when we know they need help. Right. Um, so, you know, what I've done, too, is um, arranged to have additional caring from, from folks outside the, house, outside the family. And, uh, you know, fortunately, my parents, it's, it's something that we can do and that can enable them to stay in the house. But that's okay. Just, just but be clear about it. Don't avoid it. See, that's, that's I think, what, what happens is we avoid this reality that, you know, I can't do this or I don't choose it or I don't want to. And then what happens? We get resentful. Mm. And then what mm. happens? <laughs> Look at the impact that that could likely have on your relationship and on the care that you're trying to provide. Because I believe you, you authentically want to care for the person, but you can't. Mm. So it, it would be best to find other alternatives. It would be best to make other living arrangements. Not easy. <laughs> Definitely not easy mm-hmm. thing to do. But, but we still have a responsibility as a son, my partner, a spouse, a daughter, a, a, you know, a loved one. We still, you know, we're called to, to be responsible. We're part of a community and, and a family, and we still have that responsibility to do something. But, but no, we should not be forcing ourselves into this role that you just know you cannot do. And, and more power to people who, who acknowledge that. But if you had a one piece of advice for a new caregiver, what would it be? Um, you know, people tell me about situations like, oh, I should have done this, and I made the wrong decision, and I, I, am re- you know, I feel really bad, and I say to them, you were there. You were there. Acknowledge yourself for what you're doing, you know, not beating yourself up for what, you're, what you didn't do or what you should have done differently. Um, and, and have an ally. Reach out to somebody. There, as I said before, there's no book. There's no handbook. I'm not arrogant to think that my book or, you know, is, is, is going to be the one that does it. I just hope that it resonates in some ways, that it re- feeds people's spirit or recharges their energy, because they're really doing an, an amazing life-changing, um, having li- amazing life-changing impact on themselves and on each other. They have to, they have to reach out and know that you're going to make fumbling moves, as I have continued <laughs> to do <laughs> many times, like uh, keeping my mouth shut when I... <laughs> when <Yeah>. I <laughs> Why is that so hard? So I want people to really not be alone. So the first thing is to, to just please reach out. Reach out. Reach out to people in your church, your community, um, Strangers, sometimes strangers, tell somebody on the airplane that you're riding next to them. Because it's amazing how sometimes we just need practice at reaching out. And, you know, when we do it, when there's no real rep, real cost to it, because a stranger you'll never see on the airplane. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Right? But whatever you have to do, uh, I can't, I don't know what that is for you and for, for folks listening. I just know that I don't want to see you be alone on this because um, there are many people on this journey, and we really uh, can help each other along. Mm-hmm. Dr. Santo Marabella is the author of The Lessons of Caring, Inspiration and Support for the Caregiver. You can find out more about his work by going to marabellallc.com. on a big family outing. Everyone's had a lot of fun. But then you sit and listen to everybody moan and complain on the car ride back because they're so tired and they're hungry. Like, you can't just have the moment be wonderful, right? (laughs) That's what you want. You want to bask in the glow of this great experience that you've just had. Did you cue this up with have I ever or how many times have I? (laughs) I I can't remember. Well, all that moaning and begroaning can be a real buzzkill for future family outings and can end the wonderful day on a really sour note. Don't believe me? Then over here, conversations with parents 
at places like Disneyland, the Legoland, and that kind of stuff, you know, as they're saying, we just need to get through this day, you know, when you're supposed to be having a fun time. And now as parents, we all know that feeling. We all know what it feels like, and we all wonder what it is that we can do to mitigate the chorus of complaints that come from tired kids. So we've invited parenting pros Kent and Amy Bowler on Friends of This Show to join us to teach us their tips and tricks on how to minimize moaning and whining in your home. Welcome, Kent and Amy. Thank you. Thank you. So I think that to a certain extent, most parents assume, okay, it's pretty normal for tired young kids, you know, to kind of moan or whine. And it gets to a point, and I don't know, I think that's a point is different for everyone, where it's like, nope, no more, I'm done with this. Um, so I'm curious as to, and let's start with you, Amy, where do you think that this behavior comes from, and what is a realistic expectation for moaning and whining? Go ahead. That's a great question, because what wanting to know what is it that they're really, why are they doing it? Um, and and realizing that that whining and moaning is actually a form of communication. It, it's not a form that we're really happy with and that we love, but also to, to acknowledge that it is communication and it's so much better than them shutting us out. And Good so, point. Okay, Good point. They, they, are, they are communicating, um, and, and this isn't the time. The, the exhaustion, the terrible, you know, the, the end of the trip, the, the mid-hour-long line at Disneyland is not the time to be teaching. This, sure. is, this is not the way we behave. Good point. So if that's not the time, then when is the time, and how do we outline that? Kent, what's your perspective? Yeah. Well, you know, in your prior question, you talked about what's a realistic expectation. Mm-hmm. And and that is part of the battle right there is what is a realistic expectation? Because we only experience disappointment when our expectations haven't been met. And so if we're expecting our children to be superstars, to be superheroes, to have phenomenal cosmic power in this three-year-old body, that's not a realistic expectation. And we are going to be sorely disappointed and so it, it actually starts with us having an understanding that our children are children and that they're still practicing and that they're still trying to figure out how to communicate, I'm tired, I'm hungry, or whatever they're feeling in that moment. And so if we can reframe that, then it helps mm-hmm. us to recognize that they're still kids and they're, they're just trying to communicate. And and if we can help them in that moment, then we're going to have a better experience, especially when we're not feeling that frustration because we're not expecting them to be superheroes. Some people hearing that might might interpret that as lowering lowering your expectations. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I love that, Richie. No, we're not. <laughs> There's there's a dichotomy. There's two sides of the coin, right? Because we always see our children as magnificent. We always see them as becoming amazing. And at the same time, we want to recognize where they are right now. Right now, they're hungry. They're starving. They they're, they have had no carbs in their body and no source of energy. And so we can't expect them to do much more than what they're doing and say, hey, when can I eat? <laughs> When can we get a snack? When are we done with this line? Or whatever it is that they're complaining about, we just want to understand that they are trying in mm-hmm. their best way to communicate something to us. And and so we're not lowering our expert expectations. We're just understanding where yeah. they are. I love that. And I'm wondering, too, this has my mind sort of spinning, I think, like a lot of parents have saying, you're right, like Disneyland is not the place to teach this. You know, we got to back up a little bit. And I'm wondering if you can help us sort of outline the way that we should start to change the way that we speak to our kids in preparation for, you know, healthier, more positive communication. Amy, what, what do you think? Yes, I, I love that. And, and there are times we know when it's a good time that we can talk with our children. And maybe, maybe it's a formal time where we say, okay, we're going we're gonna to do some family role play here. We're going we're gonna to talk about this situation. And here, here we're in the store and we're walking by the candy aisle and 
this trip, we're not getting anything. And so what do we do when that happens? You know, role-playing, those kinds of things. Or maybe it's, it's, I think, both. It's that it's also other times when it's maybe just an informal time when we're just driving in the car and maybe talking about something we saw in a movie where there was a whining person mm, or a complaining mm-hmm. person. Now, how did that make you feel? What do you, what do you think when, do you ever have a friend who, who's kind of complains or maybe they're telling you about someone, you know, just looking for those opportunities to teach in everyday life. If you're just joining the conversation, we're talking with Kent and Amy Bowler, parenting experts about getting rid of that whining and moaning, those experiences that we have that can, you know, besmirch a great opportunity uh, that we have to be able to connect with our family. I would be curious how much of this is just allowing our kids to eat or take a nap that would solve these things. Hmm. Maybe you, Kent? Yeah, I remember one of the first times we went to Disneyland, we we came across a book and it had these great tips on how to manage the day. And that was part of it. Richie was, just, you know, at two o'clock, we come home and we take a nap and and we plan our meals. And so as we're doing our job as parents to make sure that the needs of our children are being met, that will reduce that whining and moaning that comes from those types of situations where it's just a, a physical need. So, yeah, absolutely, we can do that. And that's that's part of our job as parents is to provide for our kids. Well, and I want to expand that question just a little bit more. Another kind of sort of buzz phrase I think that we use in parenting is is that that um, there's a difference between responding and reacting, you know, to your kids' complaints mm-hmm. or to, to what they have to say. And I'm wondering if you can give us some maybe some examples of that or how to better do that, Amy. Yeah, it's so good. I, I think we all know that we need to stay calm as parents. Sure. It's like, of course, okay, yes, I need to be calm, be calm, be calm, be calm. Um, and, and that it's as, as cliche as it is, it is so important. And that's where you can get into the response versus the reacting. If we're calm, then we can take a minute and just almost every situation is that they're whining and moaning. It's not an emergency kind of situation. It's not a child running out to the street where we got to grab them. They're just whining and moaning. It may feel like an emergency to us when we're trapped in the car with them, Mm -hmm. but it's not actually an emergency. We can take a minute and pause so that we can respond and not just react. And that's, that's our responsibility. And that's what we can take on to to do so that we're not reacting. Uh, so if we're not reacting, but we find ourselves in a moment of like high stress and high pressure, which I think is... is Parenting? Is, yeah, is yeah. parenting. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and we just want to get through that moment. What What is your like quick to go, you know, I, I don't want to say maybe mantra, but just, you know, way, Actually, way to yes. calm. Do you have one or, or, yes. or what, what do you do to calm yourself down? Yes, that's totally what we do. And it's what we teach parents to do is to have a mantra. And so one of my mantras is they're doing the best they know how. They are there. Sometimes it's, it's that one. They're doing the best they know how or they are an amazing child of God. I just have to hold on to that vision of they are, I love them because sometimes it's like we forget in that moment when they're whining and we feel like we're just going to lose it if they whine one more time. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think sometimes we can feel ourselves physically just bracing ourselves when we know we need to ask our kids to do something and we know it's, we, that it's just going to trigger this whining. I don't want to do that, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, now this would never happen. Okay. But how how much of this bemoaning, this whining about these particular things is modeled behavior from we adults? What do you think, Ken? Mm -hmm. You know, if I answered that question honestly, I would be in trouble, (laughs) right, (laughs) as a dad. Because, Because you're spot on. Absolutely. That, that is the bottom line of parenting is that our kids learn almost everything that they do from us. And so if we see something that our kids are doing that we don't like, then we should be looking at ourselves first. Mm. 
because that's most likely where they got it. And so, and so, yes, we, we need to model the right behavior. We need to manage our own emotions. We need to manage those situations when we don't feel great or feel good or when something else is really bothering us. And, and Johnny walks by and says, mom, can I have a drink? And we, we lose it, right? Because they talked to us at the wrong moment because we weren't in a good state. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we need to model that good behavior. Um, Dr. Wally Goddard, Goddard is one of our favorites. And we had a conversation with him one day and he talked about the fact that, you know, kids have a different agenda than we do. Sure. And, and that goes back to that beginning thing about realistic expectations. So Amy brought up the example about going to the grocery store and going past the candy bars and the candy aisle. And I want all the candy in the world right now. I want to eat it. And that's their agenda. And our agenda is I want to get to the grocery store without my kid blowing up or having a tantrum, throwing mm -hmm. it on the floor. Mm -hmm. And and so as as we model proper behavior, it will help them be able to go through those situations in a calm way and, and we can marry those two agendas a little bit better. So then to that point, Kent, and maybe turn this to you, Amy, if we recognize, man, we are perhaps more of the problem or we're looking to make that change within us, how do we model that uh, and have that conversation with our kids recognizing, you know, that we, the adults, the parents are the ones at fault? Oh, great great thing to do. And really, it's just as simple as what you just said, is acknowledging when when we were whining and moaning, you know, say, oh, you know, you guys, yesterday, I just, I realized I wasn't, I wasn't having the best day. I was, I was tired, and I was discouraged about this. And, and I just, like, four or five times, I just was whining, and I complained about the weather and I complained about COVID and ah, I'm just sorry, you know, just acknowledge it and just talk about it. And, and then, and then you're talking as a family, your kids are so forgiving and they'll be like, Oh man, mom, we totally understand. I feel that way too. I'm so tired of the mask, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And, and be together on the journey. And then they're on your team. You're on their team talk about it. Um, so important to talk about it, these things with our kids. Where, where do you think that we miss the mark as parents with all these good intentions and, and you know, knowing all this positive communication and, and, and reframing? Where do we get it wrong? We're trying too hard. Oh, interesting. What do you mean? <laughs> we, we're, we're expecting our kids to be perfect. We want them to be adults right now. We expect them to behave mm. better than we ever did as kids. We expect them to be, behave better than we do today. <laughs> and if we can just see them as kids, as still learning, as still trying to figure this all out, then then it reframes everything. And, and then we're not missing the mark anymore because we're their parents. They're our kids. We expect them to fail. We expect them to make mistakes. We expect them to fall down. We expect them to get it right today and forget tomorrow. Yeah. But then, but then we just say, oh, they're kids, and, and we love them anyway. We love them regardless. We love them always because we remember that they're practicing. We're practicing as parents. Just as they're and practicing okay. as kids. Kent and Amy yeah. Bowler uh, from Revolutionary Families. It's Revolutionary Families Parenting Heroes. If you'd like to listen to some of their parenting advice, head on over to revolutionaryfamilies.com or be sure to follow them on Facebook at Revolutionary Fam. Kent and Amy, thanks for being on the show. Thank, Thank you. you. your best friend. Now, when was the last time you expressed gratitude or appreciation towards them? You know, whether it's a note or a text, a phone call, sometimes we get into a routine, especially with our close friends, and we forget to stop and say really how much they mean to us, especially to them. A good friendship 
can also add so much quality to our lives. So it's really important to know that we're not taking them for granted. And if we do this, we could really risk losing their support in life or just, you know, kind of drift apart. So we thought it'd be really worth our time to have a conversation um, to talk with our friend of the show, California-based therapist John Sovic, about ways to make sure we're not taking our friends for granted. Welcome, John. Thank you. It's so great to chat with you. And, you know, it is so, for me personally, it is so valuable, the friendships in my life. They have been with me through the tough times, through the fun times. And, you know, sometimes they joke with me. Sometimes they call me, you know, out and say, like, you can't do that thing anymore. And my friendships (laughs) have been such a great part of my life experience. Well, I appreciate you starting the conversation off that way because I feel like sometimes it's so easy to take people for granted. And, you know, personally, I've gone through a a huge tragedy over the last year with the loss of my husband and those friends who have really showed up for me. um, I I mean, they've saved my life, really. And and so Mm -hmm. I don't think that I would ever underestimate the power of a friendship. ever again. But but sometimes we go through periods of our lives where we do take friends for granted. Well, you know, and I think it's important to understand that we do we do get busy in life, um, whether it's with our families, whether it's with our careers, whether it's mm-hmm. with something we're going through personally. But for me, I think that's actually the most important time for us to be able to connect to our friends. Um, one of the things that I see happen all the time with people is when they start a new relationship, Suddenly, it's all only about that person, and like the friends get like thrown to the side. Mm. And the one thing that I really encourage people to understand that is at that moment, that's actually a time when you might need your friends. That it would be good as you're bringing a new person into your life or a new relationship to be like, I want you to meet my friends. I want my friends to talk to when we're going through something or help me interpret something. And so I think it's really important that even as we're having big milestone moments in our life to still create space Mm. for our friends to be part of those milestones. Such a good point. You know, I had a conversation recently with, um, you know, a member in my family who basically said, I don't have time for friends. You know, I'm really, really busy for all those reasons, like you said before, you know, my I, I, I give all this attention to my kids and, you know, my family or even my extended family and there's nothing left to give. So I think that it's important for us to sort of also pause and talk about the why it's important to have good friends, why it's different than than maybe just family and and the impact that it can have on your life? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the things that's so important is that when we have friendships, they offer a certain loyalty and a certain acceptance that's very different than what we might experience in our families. You know, when we grow up with our family members, they all have agendas and they all have biases that we've grown up with, you know. Yeah. Oh, this is the way you were as a kid, so this is the way you still are as an adult. But during the course of our lifetime, we meet these different friends and they come in and they offer us a different point of view. And oftentimes as we build friendships, they really can affirm us for exactly who we are. Like when we fall down and stumble, you know, they'll still accept and love us anyways, and they'll stand by our side as we move through stuff. Mm. And having that support and that loyalty can be so, so important in difficult times. You know, you were mentioning earlier that, you know, you've been through some personal stuff over the last year. And I know in my experience, when I've gone through some really deep personal stuff, my friends have been there for me. And it's so fascinating to watch the experience, too, though, because sometimes, like, you know, one friend will be the, like, what can I do for you? I'll cook something (laughs) and bring food over. The other one will be like, oh, I'm angry at the world for you. This never should have happened. Another (laughs) friend will take on the role of, like, I had a friend when I was going through something who would leave a joke a day, and they were really bad jokes. But they took that on as their way to just let me see a lighter side of life. And that's what's so beautiful about having a multifaceted, you know, friendship, you know, paradigm around us is they can reply and take care of different parts of our needs during our lifetime. And isn't that such a great thing to be able to spread it out and and not expect from one friend that they have to fulfill all the needs, right? 
to cheer you up yeah. and bring food and be angry and keep the score and for you and <laughs> you know like that that every friend can you know express that friendship in a different way and that you in turn you know know that 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 you can do that as well i i i i, I love that idea i'm wondering then you, you know we started out by talking about how uh, sometimes we just take them for granted and don't really express that. It, it does seem weird, especially if you've got a close friend that you talk to a lot, just to one day thank them for their contribution in your life. I'm wondering what ways that, that we can incorporate this just sort of in our pa- practice so that, that our friends don't feel taken for granted and, and to make sure that we are nurturing them. Are there things that you do or, or that you keep in mind um, that, that make this more likely to happen than not? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, the very nature of your question is out of the blue, you tell someone how much you appreciate them. And I think in valuing our friendships, we need to actually be so used to doing that that it's not awkward or uncomfortable when we do it. Um, In my friend group, we regularly tell each other we love each other. Mm -hmm. Um, It's often a goodbye. You know, we've been on the phone together. Okay, have a good day. Love you. Love you, too. Um, We constantly are, you know, appreciating each other for what Mm -hmm. we're offering. And we check in with each other. It's just like, oh, hey, I know you had a long day of meetings. You doing Okay. Um, or just a simple like, hey, you know, I was doing this thing today and thought about that time we did such and so. Great to, great to have that memory. That it is a habit we can get into. And by simply building that habit and building that familiarity, it creates a space where it's an ongoing appreciation and support of each other. And that loyalty and support that we offer to our friends is then there when we need it to come back to us. So perhaps it's more about moving away from, I'm going to call it like the sloppiness of not appreciating our <laughs> yeah. friends and actually being conscious about doing it on a really regular basis. If you're just joining in on the conversation, we're talking with a California-based therapist in front of the show, John Sovic, about making sure that we're not taking our friends for granted and really highlighting the the immense value that they add to our lives as kind of, I think, a wake-up call to all of us. If we're not doing it, to start it. If we are, to, to make sure that the way that we're communicating is actually being expressed or interpreted correctly from our friends. I'm wondering what you do in those cases where you sort of have maybe fallen out of touch with a friend, but still consider them close or still value them uh, of how to get back into touch and sort of start that again. Yeah, I know. I think it's that idea. uh, We do. We do. You know, we talked earlier about getting busy. We do get Mm -hmm. busy in life. And sometimes we don't have as much of a connection with someone who means a lot to us. And sometimes the very first step into making that reconnection is recognizing that there's been this gap, this pause. Um, I have a very good friend in Chicago. And, you know, when they lived in California, was like one of my best friends. We hung out all the time. Yeah. When they moved to Chicago, moved to a new career, moved to a new relationship, that got a little bit sloppy. And one day they reached out to me and said, hey, I know it's been forever, but <laughs> I realize we need to, like, take care of this. And that simple recognition of the fact that it has been a long time, we have kind of lost touch, and that it's still valuable to one or both of us is that first step to reigniting that connection. Yeah. Have you ever had that experience where someone sort of does that to you? Um, and, and maybe I'm just speaking, you know, personally, uh, Okay, I am (laughs) where I've had somebody kind of reach out to me and say, I know we haven't been in in touch for a while, but I'd like to you let me know when it's a good time. And I I got a text like that uh, a little while ago and I just thought, well, where have you been for the last five years? I've I've been going through something really, really difficult and, and I haven't heard anything, you know from you and and now you're putting sort of the responsibility for me you know to reach out and to do on me and I don't know I I think maybe my reaction uh sort of caught me off guard because I thought why why aren't I just excited just to hear from this friend when we have sort of complicated relationships or things that haven't been sort of resolved but we want to move forward what's the what's the best way to do that 
Well, I think in any of those moments, it is realizing like, oh, I'm having a really strong visceral reaction to this. I need to check in with myself about what this is about. Is it about my frustration with them? Is it about my pride being hurt because I don't know if I want to like take on the role of stepping back in? Mm. Is it that I'm angry with them? And we need to evaluate that for ourselves. And then once we get in touch with, oh, this is what's happening. I'm really frustrated that they weren't there when I needed them. But I do want to reconnect with them. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. important for me for us to talk about this. Because remember, we're making decisions in those moments where we may not have all the information at our touch. What if that person is going through something? What if they didn't feel comfortable reaching out to you because what you were going through was really difficult for them? There are myriad reasons of why these relationships might have pauses or gaps in them. Mm. And so I think we need to really kind of like dial it back a little bit and take a bigger picture and then maybe meet, have a coffee, see how it feels. The thing is, if it doesn't feel right, it's also okay to end a relationship. And we need to understand that. Oftentimes we'll look at our relationships um, you know, the people we're, you know, in, you know, marriage with or in love with, and we'll be like, ah, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. But we don't always do that with our friendships. And I think it is important along the way in life for us to be able to evaluate our friendships and see if these are relationships that are healthy and healing for us, or if they're relationships that are distracting from our goals on life energy. Hmm. That's a lot of really great, uh, you know, qualifications to think about and to consider um, when thinking about friends. I appreciate that. Um, so, well, and you know, I had a personal experience that was really interesting with mm-hmm. that. You know, we talked about, you know, I'm a therapist. And when I went back to grad school, you know, after, you know, a career in different things and mm-hmm. last career was in corporate America. Um, when I went back to grad school, really fascinating thing. Some of my friends were loyal and supportive and amazed and just in wonder of the fact that I was picking up my life and turning it like 180 degrees. Yeah. But I had some friends who couldn't travel that path with me. Mm-hmm. The fact that I went from just like, hey, yeah, I'm available. Let's go see a movie to like, hey, you know what? I've got a big final tomorrow. I've yeah. got a paper due. I've got stuff to do. Or I wanted to talk about this new stuff I was learning and this new person I was becoming. And they were not able to travel that journey with me. And so I did have to let some of those friendships go because there was not that deep core mutual love and support for someone who was changing the paradigm. And once again, reevaluating, understanding what our friendships mean to us and how we can best you know, be involved with them going forward. Wow, well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that when we have those kinds of experiences, it makes us value the friends that 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 are able to go through all the different changes and life events that we have even more. <laughs> well, it's funny because most of my friends started joking. He's like, okay, well, now that you're a therapist, are you going to, like, analyze it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my smart-ass answer is, I don't think you can afford me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm out of your price range, but thanks. Thanks so much. You know, I I do think that some people might be listening to this thinking, I don't know. I just have friends and we just kind of go along and just, you know, get together and it's not that big of a deal and, and might not have ever considered pausing to understand, you know, that true value of the friendship in order to, to strengthen it. What would be the value to somebody who maybe uh, had never thought about this before? I think it allows us an opportunity to deepen those relationships. You know, I have friends that have been in my life for 30, 35 years. I have friends that I went to elementary school with, okay? Yeah. And they're still in my life. And it is the fabric of our experience. Um, There's a a whole school of theory. It's called Adlerian therapy. I'm not going to go too geeky on you, but just let me go with this for a moment. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And one of the things that it talks about our own mental health and well-being is at its peak when we are connected into our community. And I've always held on to that because I've noticed in my own life when I tend to isolate is when I am in a dark place. But when we are connected into our community, into our friendships, into our families, into our relationships is when we are at our peak self. 
So even if you just think of your friends as a casual part of your world, they are actually a, an enormous part of your mental and spiritual and emotional well-being on this journey on this earth. Well said. Thank you so much for your perspective, John. Absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't be here without my friends. I got to tell you. <laughs> I I feel the same way. I wouldn't I wouldn't be anywhere without my friends right now. Well, John Sovek's a therapist based in Pasadena, California, and you can learn more about him by visiting johnsovek.com or following him on Twitter at John Sovek. You know, we have a quick moment. I want to remind people that they can always email us, thelisashow at byu.edu, and uh, also want to speak into the significance, I think, of that subject line. You've heard me talk about it before. Let me just echo my own sentiment. That's almost like quoting yourself. Sure. So I guess we can indulge. Uh, Thelisashow at byu.edu and put something in the subject line, even if it's just something like, hey, just touch and base. Or you could say something like, hey, you know what, a really great book I just read, a great guest suggestion, uh, something that lets us know the purpose of your email and then also allows us to be able to follow up on it. One thing that we really appreciate at The Lisa Show is the opportunity to really connect with people. You know, we we think of, of things that uh, are important to our family, to our friends in making connections and really living in an intentional life and Part of the way that we do that is with other people. So we really do love to hear not only from you, but what you and your loved ones are talking about and really concerned and interested in. So when you write an email and when you put in the subject line a suggestion or an idea or a thought, it helps us to connect with you in a real way so that we aren't just in our own little echo chamber. (laughs) Uh, You can can also find us on uh, social media. Uh, wherever you direct message on your social media, that is a great way to get in touch with us. Again, those connection points. Uh, maybe you think email and you think, oh, geez, I haven't written an email in eons. And then you look up eons yeah. and go, that's a real long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just You can send us a direct message available wherever we social media lies. Uh, find The Lisa Show and connect with us there. Would love to hear from you.